0: All right, if you would, turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 2 and uh, verse 23. We're going to read the end of Exodus chapter 2 and read a little bit into chapter 3. It's a little bit of a oddly portioned text, but I feel that I've pulled the right idea from it at least, so I, I hope that this is um, beneficial for us this morning. Um, before we go to the text, let's pray. Oh, Lord and Heavenly Father, um, our Lord God, Yahweh, we pray to you and ask for uh, your guidance this morning. Lord, we um, ask that you would reveal yourself to us and your, your saving power, um, Lord, in your, your glory, we ask that you would show it to us. Lord, as we praise you, we, um, we ask for a, a connection to you, a, a, a strong relationship in our, our worship to you. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us when we fail you. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 23, says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing "'with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites "'and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites "'and the Hevites and the Jebusites. "'Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel "'has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression "'with which the Egyptians oppressed them. "'Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh "'that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, "'out of Egypt.' But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, When I come to the children of Israel, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. So recently, uh, through the studies that I've done, teaching through uh, Exodus on Wednesday night with the teens and teaching and preaching through Esther um, here and at Brimfield, it has struck me that, God is deeply involved in the lives of humans. We're meant to interact with God uh, personally and deeply every day. Now, excuse me, I'm sad to say that that's not, uh, I'm not always in tune with that, even, even when God is present. I don't treat my life as if I'm meant to be living out the purpose of God uh, that he has set before us in the Great Commission. But taking God's message of deliverance, even to people that may not want to hear it, is our purpose as much as it was for Moses. Yahweh personally interacts with his people in order to deliver his message that he is fulfilling the, his promise of salvation from slavery to sin. And that's what we find in this passage. Um, first, we w- want to look at the cry of Israel. Um, that was verses 23 3 through 25. And I don't think that I'm providing any new information here by any means, but It is important to remember why the children of Israel uh, were in Egypt at the beginning at the book of Exodus. At the end of Genesis, Joseph has brought his family to Egypt to escape famine in the land of Canaan. His father Jacob, renamed Israel, stayed there until he died. And Genesis ends with Joseph making a covenant with his living relatives while he is about to die. Uh, Genesis chapter 50 and verses 24 through 26 says, And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The book of Exodus opens with some of God's promise to Abraham being fulfilled due to the population growth of Israel while they were living there in that land of Goshen. John MacArthur draws on the uh, population count of Israel in the book of Numbers. There was 603,000 males above the age of 20, and he estimates a total of 2 million Israelites at the time of the Exodus. God had told Abraham that he would become a great nation. He would... Through his family, he would become a great nation, and two million is a pretty good start. This population growth stokes the fear of the new pharaoh that did not know Joseph. There are many speculations about the people in power at this time, whether they were the native Egyptians or they were part of a people group that came in called the Hiskos, but who is in charge is less important than what had happened, There's a disconnect between this current king in Egypt and the enormous group of people living in the territory with the Egyptians and causing tension and fear that Israel would rise up and attempt to take all of Egypt for themselves. This Pharaoh sought to ease his fear by subjecting Israel to forced labor. He appointed people to be set over the population of Israel uh, for the purpose of Building supply cities meant to increase the military power of Egypt. Part of his plan worked. The supply, the supply cities were built with cheap labor, but the outcome that he did not foresee was that an even faster rate of, uh, an even faster rate of growth in the population of Israel. Apparently being robust people and blessed by God, they overcame the new conditions to which they were subjected. Pharaoh's second plot, if you will recall, was to have the Hebrew midwives kill all of the boys that were born to the Hebrews. The Hebrew midwives were disobedient to the cruel command of Pharaoh, either by circumstance or dishonesty, but the outcome was that there was no Hebrew children being killed, and the midwives were blessed by God, growing their own families. And the final word that Pharaoh gave on this matter was to have all of the Hebrew boys that were born, taken from their parents, and thrown into the river. These are the conditions under which Moses was born. And you know that he was placed in the river in a watertight wicker basket by his mother, drawn out by the daughter of Pharaoh, raised with Egyptian education, but knowing that he was a Hebrew. And he fled into the wilderness when he acted impulsively to save an Israelite from being beaten. In Midian, where he fled to, He finds a new family living with his father in law, raising a son named after his circumstance, living in a foreign land. And that is where chapter three opens to find Moses leading the sheep of his father in law in the wilderness. Back in the land of Egypt, Israel was still there, toiling with the forced labor that Pharaoh had placed on them. Even with the transition of power with a new Pharaoh, Presumably one of the sons of the previous pharaoh that had initiated their servitude, Israel was not released from bondage. It's during this time that we're told Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. I want you to notice that directional language. Their cry came up to God. And then in chapter 3, in verse 8, God says, So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from that land. It's not literal directions, but it's setting this frame of reference and a picture of God reaching down to draw his enslaved people from their conditions. I think the song choices this morning were actually extremely appropriate. It was um, not planned at all, at least not by me. This Pharaoh uh, that did not know Joseph, did not care to understand the history of a people living in the land that he saw as being under his control. He did not care, and he would not care that they were descendants of a man named Abraham, through whom God had promised to bless all nations of the earth. He especially did not care about how Yahweh is uh, truly the God that enabled his uh, political power and kept his family, uh, this family, alive by bringing them to Egypt. Pharaoh's fear of Losing power caused him to sin against God's chosen people, murdering their children, and ultimately incurring the wrath of Yahweh on himself and his own children. In his omniscience, Yahweh has worked around the plots of Pharaoh in order to raise up Moses to be his chosen instrument for the redemption of Israel. He literally calls out to Moses from the burning bush. And that is where we find um, the curious sight that Moses saw. Verses uh, 1 through 11 of chapter 3. The picture that we find of Moses here in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is that of a man who has lost his confidence that he once had in his younger years. Of course, he is still doing the work of a shepherd in a harsh environment, in, a, in, a wil- in the wilderness, but he's much more settled than the impulsive Moses that took action to beat an Egyptian man to death and fought off multiple other shepherds to help his future wife and her sisters. What is seen from those younger years was an eagerness to help others. His impulse was to charge into situations where people were being oppressed and fight off their oppressors. In this sense, he shares the heart of God to aid people. But especially in the case of the Egyptian uh, beating the Hebrew, he went about it in the wrong way. But even, even through the early failure of Moses, God was working to draw him, to place him where he could meet Israel in the wilderness. As Moses led the sheep through the rocky terrain of the mountain path, nothing indicates that he was expecting to meet God there that day. He was just herding sheep. And it is, it is here that Moses had an experience that shares similarities with the prophets of Samuel and Isaiah. God calls out to Moses by name, just as he did with the prophet Samuel. When Isaiah saw God, he fell on his face, knowing that he was in the presence of God's holiness. And in similar fashion, Moses fell on his face and was also made aware of the presence of God and his holiness. The the response of all three men was the same as well. They said, here I am. And there is a curiosity and, and eagerness attached to these words in our English Bibles. Um, at least that's what I pick up from it when I read those, the accounts of those men. Samuel and Moses would have been more likely curious, not knowing at first that they were speaking to God, but eventually all three men became willing servants of Yahweh. And Yahweh himself is well known to have appeared and spoke from the midst of this burning bush, But the the title, um, Angel of the Lord, is, is better interpreted as messenger. But God identifies himself as the one speaking through the course of this conversation. It also becomes a theme for God to reveal himself to humans in the form of fire. First here at the burning bush at the top of Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, And second, um, the pillar of fire by night, leading Israel out of Egypt and back to Sinai. And finally, God came down on Mount Sinai, setting the whole mountain on fire. And then again in the New Testament book of Acts, the Spirit of God will show himself as a tongue of fire that divides itself into little tongues of fire above the disciples. Fire seems like an appropriate physical manifestation of God. It is a common source of light to illuminate the lives of men, and at the same time, it burns. It's a purifier, refining metal, and burning chaff. It can be symbolic of God's wrath against sin, and at the same time, the guiding light for mankind. On Mount Sinai, as God shows his fiery presence to Moses, calls out to him by name, and announces his holy surroundings, God identifies specifically to Moses that he is the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this identity of God, the God of the Abrahamic covenant, is one that gets uh, constantly repeated throughout this conversation. It is how Israel will know God when Moses speaks to them. It is how Moses understood the gravity of this conversation, why he fell to the ground, fearing to see God. And this is an appropriate response. And God continues to speak. Uh, Let's look again at verses 7 through 10 in chapter 3. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the commission of Moses that Moses tried to initiate on his own way back when he attacked the one Egyptian without God's guidance. Now God has seen and heard his people for years, waiting for the proper time to call upon Moses and draw Israel out of Egypt. Now is the time to use that rigor to help people that Moses had in his youth. He's not on his own anymore. The God of the patriarchs has already begun to fulfill his promise by multiplying the children of Israel immensely, and he is now calling on Moses to take on Pharaoh. Moses, who once stepped stepped up to a bunch of bullying shepherds to help a group of women he didn't even know, is now full of doubt. His response to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses' doubt is not necessarily a bad thing at first, because it is self-doubt. It would appear that he learned from being a fugitive that his own methods are not going to win the day to free Israel. But in order for that self-doubt to be good, it needs to result in trusting God. Trusting God to be the power behind our good intentions and actions is the only way that they will result in the benefits that God can provide from them. The trouble with Moses' doubt is that he continues in it until he provokes anger from God. Moses not only doubts himself, but as his line of questions to God continues that we didn't read, he reveals he's struggling to trust that this is really happening. And we could beat up on Moses for this, but I would, I would be just as unsure in this situation. The God of my ancestors, who I've probably... Only heard about through oral tradition up to this point is now speaking to me through a never consumed burning bush in the middle of the wilderness. I would be doubting everything at this point, including my sanity. (laughs) But God is a caring God. And that is what we want to look at next. God has already shown that he has compassion for his people and a plan to redeem them. But he also reveals his patience with Moses and provides answers and solutions to these questions, even after his anger is stoked. God tells Moses, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God does not dismiss Moses' fear. He assures Moses that he is not bound to this mountain, but his presence will go with Moses to accomplish the task through him. The same holy and sacred ground will be reserved for an appointed meeting between God and Moses once Israel has been safely drawn out. And Moses' next question further leads to the revelation of God's nature and his character by his name. And according to uh, the Tyndale Old Testament commentary on Exodus, which I was reading to study for this, um, Moses' concern to have a new title or a name for, name for God for their patriarchs is a legitimate one. He, he's going to go back to the, um, the leaders of the nation of Israel and they're going to ask for a new title of God, and it would have been equivalent to asking, what new revelation have you received from God? And apparently through oral traditions that were kept, the elders of Israel had collected the names and titles of God that they'd received up to that point, which, with each one adding up, revealing more of God's saving activity. And God's Saving activity is the reputation within the name that he gives to Moses. I am who I am. Given the context surrounding its presentation and the repetition of God calling himself the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is a God of promises, and he is keeping his promise to redeem his people. I am As a title and as a statement of existence and stability from infinite past to infinite infinite future means that God is able to keep his promises of redemption until they are fulfilled in their entirety. Yahweh, or I Am, is the God of salvation, past, present, and future. He has saved, He is saving, and He will save. He is active in the lives of humans directly, consistently, and eternally. His relationship to us is wholly for our good and completely for his glory. And despite the messy history of Israel and humanity since the time of Moses and the Exodus, Yahweh has been the same, existing dynamically, actively involved in human history yet never changing his nature to reach down and save people whose cries go up to him. And for us, uh, Christians, um, including us, are prone to doubt like Moses, as God was calling him. We lack faith to live with the goal of taking God's message of salvation into the world each day of our lives, doubting the power of God. And sometimes I feel like, um, at least for myself, that I'm just as hopeless as the rest of the world sometimes that seems to be falling apart around us. But our self-doubt is misplaced if we think that all of the world's problems are out of control and left to humanity to figure it out on our own. We're not going to make things better Scripture clearly shows that the only thing humans will do if we're left apart from God is cause more chaos. Yahweh God still has more people to save in this world. and That job is not left for us to do alone. Paul presents this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, "...for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing." but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the mighty hand of Yahweh that works through the course of human events and the message of the cross that brings salvation. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan of redemption and the name that fulfills God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bless all nations of the earth. And within that promise, we're called to be willing participants in the delivery of God's message, his word, even to people that may harden their hearts against God's message. And God knows who he has saved and who he will save. And those that are saved are drawn out to be used by God to draw others, just as Moses was.